Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back, Julie. It is January the 28th. Yes, indeed. We are almost amazingly through the first month of 2021. It seems to me like it went really fast, but... Yeah, well, it seems, yeah, definitely really fast and at the same time, oddly slow. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I guess it depends what day we're talking about. I I have a hard time remembering what day I talk to somebody because all my days sort of blend because, you know, it's the nature of what we do. It's, by the way, the nature of how you're supposed to run a business, too. It's something Julie and I learned a long time ago. The most successful businesses, in essence, the most successful entrepreneurs the ones that are making the most profit, generally speaking, they don't strive to have a business that's full of excitement and you know newness. <laughs> it's supposed to be sort of like working on an assembly line because when you have a business that's built on repetitious boredom, it really does pay off. And but the funny thing is, is that keeping your mind from going to mush, you know, from the monotony of doing the same thing every single day. Um, and that's really where the challenge comes in, which, by the way, is the reason Julie and I do our Sunday podcast, because we're always trying to entertain you guys primarily, but also to sort of expand what you're thinking about. Um, because what then on the weekend, especially on Sunday, when we're doing our show, hopefully you're listening to us and you're getting inspired to maybe, you know, allowing yourself to think about things that are outside of your normal mental spectrum. And in doing so, again, it creates more elasticity in how you think of and makes it so that the boring days, which are most days when you're actually running an efficient business, aren't so, I don't know, boring. <laughs> well, but, you know, the boredom is something to be celebrated because assuming that your boredom, as you said, repetitious boredom pays off. And we had that post in our office for years. We did. You know, uh, but assuming that you have achieved that knowledge, that you know repetitious boredom pays off, what that really means is that you have systematized your business to the point where you have predictable and duplicatable outcome. So be careful, those of you who are listening, who are in momentum as a result of your repetitious boredom, doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at a high level, repetitiously, because those agents and brokers sometimes sometimes they can inadvertently self-destruct because they you know the boredom bothers them and they they will subconsciously create problems like they'll just stop prospecting one day or their lead follow-up will get backed up on it's them. the shiny object syndrome sure or yeah they'll go try something new that they think right. is going to make it easier all the while they had a really well-oiled machine that was totally working for or them. not you know or they're on their way to had they just stayed the course yes it go you know there's two prevailing thoughts i had it's the whole mom- building momentum thing right mm-hmm. the plane taking off yep. analogy that you and i figured out you know 25 years ago but the other thing that's also true is this is different levels of learning, which we seem to be talking about frequently on our podcast. Sure. You know, and I talked all, about it on Facebook Live today. Right. And all that because it's really important that you guys identify when you're okay with putting yourself into the point where you're consciously incompetent, where you admit you don't know something. Because what a lot of people will do is they'll get to the point where they have enough of a comfort zone, certainly not mastery. If you believe that you have to do something 10,000 times before you consider yourself an expert, the part that people always drop off when they say that is you have to do something 10,000 times successfully yeah. <laughs> before you consider yourself 
yourself an expert. So if you do th something, you know, 10,000 times and all of a sudden you think you're an expert, you're an expert and, and you never succeed on any of those 10,000 times. And on the 10,000th time you succeed, what you've just basically discovered was, you know, 9,900 uh, ways to not doing it, which does not make you an expert at anything other than doing it the wrong way. Well, in fact, Edison said that as kind of a self-ego check when people used to compliment him on having, you know, uh, done it, made his try 10,000 times because, well, that means that uh, 9,999 times I failed at it, Yeah, you know, yeah. keeping his head screwed on straight, I suppose. But it does, this isn't, you know, you and I are going to talk about REOs and short sales today a little bit. And it is a fascinating conversation because it's, you know, in life in general, it is what reinforces repetitious boredom paying off. Who tells you that? What around you uh, it sort of basically reinforces the idea that long-term ever-increasing levels of success come from doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level? Where have you guys ever heard that before other than Julie and I? I would say other types of coaches like athletic coaches. Probably, yeah, that's true. Stuff like that. You mean I, real I professional? professionals. Yep. My music teachers. Right. You know, scales. Right. <laughs> so when you guys are going through your day, don't look for the excitement. Don't look for, yeah. you know, the, the highs, the high highs and the, and all the rest of it. Look for the things that are going to basically get you, put you in a position to help people and make money consistently. And that's going to be the things that we, um, frankly, gear you guys towards and focus you on. It's going to be the proactive lead generation. It's going to be the pre-qualifying. It is going to be the presenting. It's going to be the closing. It's going to be, you know, the lead follow-up. It's going to be the activities that actually any successful salesperson is always going to have to learn how to master. That's where the money's at, guys. I promise you, that's where you're going to find it. Don't fight it. And uh, you listen to all of our past podcasts if you really want to understand more about the philosophy that we've, um, you know, we adopted a long time ago. We've written about it in our book, Harris Rules. And a lot of, well, at this point, I don't even know how many hundreds of thousands of people have adopted in their own businesses and personal lives. The bottom line is, guys, is that success is not that hard to achieve. Um, Long-term, ever-increasing levels of success is not that hard to achieve. Success in anything in life is not that hard to achieve. You just basically have to go and do its repetitious boredom, and it's doing what you don't want to do, and you don't want to do it the highest on the highest level. That last bit really does matter. At the highest level means you're doing it with the intent of actually getting a result. How do you know if you're doing that in real estate? Here's the litmus test. How many times per day are you putting yourself in the position to hear the word no? The minimum standard we set for anyone, and I'll suggest you set this for yourself, is to put yourself in a position to hear the word no at least five times a day. In other words, you're asking somebody to sign a contract or commit to doing business with you at least five times a day. You can maybe, I'll even make it easier. You ask for a referral at least five times a day. Do something where someone could actually say no to you and push yourself through this natural fear. All of us have it. Um, and it always does feel painful, but it feels painful in a lessening degree the more you experience it. And I'm talking about rejection. Once you realize it's not going to kill you, <laughs> you're going to be just fine, then you then we'll see it for what it was, which is just in essence a mental and emotional mooring line that was keeping you from actually setting sail to the ocean and achieving, uh, you know, a, discovering new, more fertile ground. <laughs> that was a pretty good sentence. I like that. Oh, that you're welcome. Yeah. Well, and by the way, we are developing something that's going to really help them track how many times they're having actual conversations. Remember, the definition of a contact is a conversation with a decision-making adult about real estate in the form of uh, a couple of planner pages that I just sent off to mm. our um, editor, designer, planner person. And we're going to have uh, some quotes on the top to remind them, you know, like profit is your product and, you know, that sort of thing. But there's an actual contact tracker that we do weekly. 
And it's not like one through 10. I made it 100 where you circle as you go to remind them you have to make more contact than you think to get the results that you desire. But it's not like a thousand, you mm-hmm. know, it's but you do have to track it because I think consciously, um, you know, they, they don't always think of it. So here's the thing, guys, you got to start all your basis every year. Well, really, this isn't something you just do at the end of the, you know, end of the one year and leading into the next. You can do this anytime is your real estate treasure map. You've really got to complete that, guys, because it does give you the sense of direction that all of you need. Um, it is essentially your personal and business GPS. And the real estate treasure map is free, as in completely free. And yes, it's for sale, you know, but look, don't buy it. Just I'll give it to you for free. Just text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Text 2021 to 855-685-1045. And Julie and I did uh, quite a few podcasts prior to the rollover of the year talking about um, how to complete the treasure map. So go back and listen to past podcasts as well. So just text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Now, uh, we received an email from someone who has been in our lives for a long time, someone we know and love. She's basically part of our extended family. She's not only a a coaching client, but she's also a Harris certified coach. Um, She's also part of our EXP group. And yes, I'm talking about you, Jane Armstrong. Yes, who incidentally now sells in two very different and distinct markets, Chattanooga, mm-hmm. Tennessee, and Las Vegas. Yep. So she's sort of like an extended neighbor when we're up in Indeed. Our, our place I in think Murphy, she North she's Carolina. she's like an hour away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it'll be great. So I, I think we're going to have a lot of people popping in at Murphy, North I Carolina. I think so. That's yeah. awesome. We have a lot of clients in that area. Definitely. All right. So Julie's going to read the email and then we're going to talk about okay, it. Okay. So I want to start with the premise that two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can have a hot seller's market with escalating prices, which most of you are experiencing. There's a few pockets that that's not true, but by and large, that's true. And at the same time, you can have some distressed homeowners, okay? So let me read this. And uh, again, this is something Jane sent to me a couple days ago. Hi, Julie, I wanna share some conversations and information about the housing market and the economy in general that I've been getting. Again, she's a certified coach. She's studying this stuff. Please let me know if my thinking is flawed. I'm watching the Las Vegas market in particular. A friend is working in a government program in Las Vegas to assist homeowners with mortgage payments. Unfortunately for many homeowners, they go to the program too late and there was no money for them. My friend said homeowners are beginning to panic because they realize they have no jobs to go back to work. They received the unemployment benefits, stimulus money, took the forbearance, and that propped them up while they were waiting for business to open. Many will never reopen or will reopen with fewer employees. The people who have applied for the funds have had some bad news. If Wells Fargo, for example, was the source of funds, any money owed for forbearance had to be repaid for before Wells Fargo would release any funds for mortgage assistance program. Very counterintuitive and very lender overlay-ish, don't you think? Okay, foreclosures are on the way yet for reasons other than what we saw in the recession. I'm coaching some of my clients to get the NOD list. I further explained that a NOD is a notice of default does not mean that there is no equity. This is the salient point I want to make sure you guys are clear on. An NOD does not mean that there is no equity in the property, yet the homeowner must sell because they can no longer make their house payments. You know, most of them don't know what NOD means. Notice of default, guys. A notice of default is simply where someone, generally speaking, in states like California, the notice of default, it's it's a public filing. It's supposed to be issued after they've they've missed one payment. But the lenders can often throttle when they're going to file the notice of defaults. We saw them do that during the housing crash. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I hope you're understanding what she's saying. I hope you're understanding how she's describing 
describing the dominoes that she sees falling. And by the way, she's 100% correct. And we're going to further her uh, her intuitive angst about this with some actual uh, statistical numbers in a second. Yes. And, and please be aware, this is not just in Vegas. It's just most obvious in Vegas. Okay? Well, it's a market she's studying. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So remember, an NOD does not equal short sale. It does not equal foreclosure. It does not equal no equity, okay? they Remember, housing prices have gone up, yet the homeowner must sell because they can no longer make their house payments. This is where our coaching clients can be of great value to homeowners by explaining how they can sell their home, pay off any forbearance and missed payments, and still walk away with some funds. As we both know, many homeowners will sit in their house until the bank comes for it, whether they have equity or not, because they're poorly educated on how this works. And what people, what we saw happening, and remember, you guys, we've been in this game for a long time. What we saw happening in our coaching clients' markets back in 07 and 08 is the banks, and this this has been widely publicized, at least mm-hmm. it was, you know, 14 years ago. The banks would target the people that had the most equity for foreclosure qu- the quickest. So the banks are supposed to file their notices of defaults, and they weren't filing them when they were supposed to file them because back then, then as soon as the notice of fault is filed, then the mark, the uh, the bank then has to basically somehow change the accounting on that mortgage, and it was going against. I don't remember all the accounting rules, but the gist of it was is the bank then has to publicly say and to the government say that this is a defaulted loan, and then it goes against their ability to do more mortgages. Again, I'm not an expert at this, but that's how I remember it. And so what they were doing is they were just procrastinating filing the notice of defaults on the people that had no equity because if they filed if they basically went after people with no equity, then there's nothing for the bank to have through the foreclosure process. Again, I realize that none of you are familiar with what I'm saying, That's but here, sure. here's the moral of the story: is the bank is let's say for example it's a you know a $300,000 mortgage and the house is worth $600,000. Well, the house goes into foreclosure. This is what Jane's describing, which is counterintuitive. A lot of you guys will assume that somebody's house goes into foreclosure. It must be because they don't have any equity. That's not true. They just don't have the ability to make the payment. And so when the payment that when the bank then puts the house into foreclosure, the bank is going to charge all kinds of fees, including, you know, every single expense you can possibly imagine against whatever proceeds are from the sale at the sheriff's at, at the sheriff's sale, right? So if the house ends up selling at the sheriff's sale, it's you know worth six hundred and let's say it has a three hundred thousand mortgage and let's say it sells at a you know a discount of say, I don't know, five hundred thousand dollars. Well, guess what? Then in addition to that, it's gonna be all the remarketing fees. All the bank, all the attorney fees, all the so the money that's left over that's going to be passed back to the seller is far less, if anything at all, than it would have been had they taken Jane's advice and just listed the house and paid off all the basically the other issues that are associated with a defaulted mortgage or a defaulting mortgage. And the other thing that saves them from is that it's going to not show up as a actual foreclosure on their credit, which is another huge win. And what she's telling you to do, and we've I had a client in. Um, Salt Lake, Utah, mm-hmm. and I just remember his name, Brad, mm-hmm. uh, Braden Shoup. Mm-hmm. And back in the best of times, and this is back like in 05, 06, 04 maybe even, in Salt Lake, things were selling like hotcakes. And yet he was making a fortune helping people that were a notice of, that basically had notice of defaults. Mm-hmm. People basically turtle up when they're you know fearful of losing their houses and they don't know what to do. And they get so much mail from all these investors and a lot of snakes that are basically come out of the woodwork during uh, when a notice of default is filed. And those a lot of people, what they do is they do nothing. They don't open the mail. They don't open yep. the mail from the bank. They don't take phone calls. They just live in fear. And so you guys can be a profound help to a lot of people in your community if you're willing to learn actually how to go out there and help them through the process. And that's what Jane's trying to describe to you. 
That's right. So she's going to talk to her title reps to, to get lists of homeowners who took forbearances. You can work NOD lists, for example. Okay. So remember, the premise here is that while there is still equity and somebody, the, the person is distressed, right? The equity is not necessarily distressed. While there is still equity, it's, and you know they're going to have to sell. Talk about a motivated seller, right? They know they're going to have to sell. Exactly. I mean, you sit down in front of a seller, they're, and they're in this situation. Guess what they're not going to do? They're not going to fight with you about the commission. No. Guess what they're not going to do? They're not going to fight with you about the price. Guess what else they're not going to do? They're not going to probably ask you too many questions about what you're going to do to get the house sold. And when you get the property listed, this is what we taught folks to do back in the short sale, short sale era as well which if you listen to what Julie's about to read to you, you might maybe think that it's going to start returning. And we're going to talk about that in two seconds. But the reality of it is, is that those sellers are motivated to get the house sold so they can at least save their credit. But in many many cases, they can actually um, walk away with some money so they can essentially have a graceful exit, which was a term, by the way, from uh, Freddie Mac. I know, Remember I that? get this. Graceful, that was yes. uh, coined back in 07, mm -hmm. right? But so Okay, and in because prices have escalated for so long in some of these markets, I've had coaching clients that have been in this situation, you know, taking care of their clients, where there was still enough equity that that person could leave that, that town and pay cash somewhere else less oh, yeah. expensive well, and not even end up leasing. The next thing you're so, about to read is a good example. A lot yes. of people leaving California and these other markets. Yeah, yes. go ahead. Okay, so this is a copy of a blog post that Jane sent me. The, the title of the blog post is Goodbye, California. So hold on a second. So this was evidently written by someone named Jeff Church. So Jeff, thank you for... Um, sharing this with evidently Jane and Jane, thanks for sending it to us. Yes, us. very interesting. It says, goodbye, California. Californians are leaving in droves. Nevada, like all states, took a major 2020 economic hit and Las Vegas was hit very hard with the loss of convention business. Sadly, in Reno, Har how do I forget how Harris. Harris, Harris closed. In Laughlin, the large Colorado Bell is no more. Vegas has seen too many casinos closed to mention. Too many will never reopen. But despite that, despite that, Housing prices are booming. Washoe is up 14%, but some U.S. communities saw increases over 25%. We've got coaching clients that are seeing 50% increases. And, and it's worth mentioning, Julie. Mm -hmm. Oh, there it is. You're about to read it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay Western states averaged a 13.7% increase. Columbus, by the way, is 12% year over year. Julie's saying that because she, uh, we have a bunch of rental properties in Columbus. She always <laughs> and that's went, never happened. I know. That's it insane. is insane. And that's okay. where we sold real estate and stuff never increased in value there. That would have been more fun, right? <laughs> right, Okay, totally. so Las Vegas is up 8% and Californians flee to no state income tax in Nevada. I am from SoCal. Remember, this is written by uh, Jeff Church. I am from SoCal and have had a cozy condo there, now in escrow. Why? Crime catch and release, bad roads, rude drivers, all play a part in sunny San Diego that I loved. The final straw, the city of San Diego bought the Marriott next door and turned it into a homeless shelter. This former hotel located on quote, hotel circle is a major tourist area off I-8. I suggested the name change to Homeless Circle. A person I know owns a touristy upscale boutique hotel there. I asked him how business was. Great. The city of San Diego, that means taxpayers, rented his fancy hotel for the homeless. Not converting an off not converting an off-the-beaten-path Motel 6, but Marriott, an upscale hotel. For the price of my old condo, I'm getting a new beachfront condo on the Gulf in friendly Texas. Goodbye, California. And I can tell you because we have lots of coaching clients in Texas, a huge amount of their transactions right now are Californians. 
Same thing with Tennessee and Florida. Well, it's happening everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, just think but of this, all... But this is not made up. This is not speculation. This is actually happening. This is a long-term macro trend, too. This maybe you could say was fueled by, or I think maybe, uh, you know, certainly COVID did something to really make it so people were uh, more willing to leave the cities because now they can work remotely and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is this is a macro trend. Macro trends can last decades. So people moving to the parts of the country that, you know, the snide, the snide speaking folks and the coast would often mm. refer to as the flyover states, like where Julie and I are from. Well, guess what? Now you're going to start seeing people move from all those expensive real estate areas for all the reasons that you guys know and you hear about, with no sense in drilling down on it. And we're not being political here. Nope. We're just stating, we're talking about migration trends. When migration trends start, they don't stop. So you're going to see this increase. You know, all the little towns and all the little communities that are looking affordable to anybody from one of the most, from the more expensive areas, that's what you're going to continue to see the run up in real estate prices. But to Julie's point, you two things can be true at once. So you saw or just rather read, uh, heard rather, Julie say 8% appreciation in Las Vegas. At the same time, you're going to see and uh, a lot of uh, notice of defaults. Now, I did talk with Jane. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if you were on that Zoom, oh. but I did talk to Jane about this in particular. And um, one of the things that is an uncertain uh, uncertainty, and when we are going to pay very close attention to this, is whether the government is going to prevent the foreclosures from moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what my, my gut feeling tells me. Yeah. I think that they're not. But I think what's going to happen, and I cannot imagine, you tell me how there's a, mm. uh, any sort of political, uh, even appetite, for all of a sudden basically having a bunch of people go yeah. through foreclosure. It won't happen. I don't think so either. And the government, most of the mortgages in the country are uh, guaranteed by the government right mm -hmm. now. So that means the government uh, ultimately is going to be able to tell the servicers what to do with those mortgages. And I just do not believe they're going to tell those uh banks to kick people out of their houses. I hope not. I don't think so either. I, I hope not too. It's horrible. Yeah. But I'll, this is what's going to be fascinating though. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what does that create? If people know that they can essentially stop making their payments, what's that going to create? Now, it, yeah. what's that going to do to real estate values? Let's think about that for a second. Clearly, if a bunch of houses were to come for sale now, I'm sure that the market would suck it up and absorb it immediately yeah. because there's such a pent-up demand for real estate. But that, and we did see that, by the way. I remember very clearly, and Julie and I were you know, coaching full-time, 12 to 15 coaching calls a day. We definitely got our 10,000 hours in a long time ago. Oh, yeah. But what we saw are markets, the key markets would be San Diego. We always watched Vegas, uh, Miami. What you saw is a increase in inventory, and then you'd see a drop off in inventory. So mm -hmm. there'd be a lot of houses, and, and these spikes were really weird to see on graphs because it was like, how can this, how is it that all these sellers sort of in unison decide to put their houses for sale? And then when you did homework on the listings that came for sale, you were seeing a lot of times that the people that are putting the houses for sale were people that were behind in their mortgages or people that yes. were essentially, you know, going through, about to go through the foreclosure process. So as the banks start to increase or as people start to talk about banks sending out notice default letters and all the rest of it, then you're going to see inventory increase. But I personally don't believe there's going to be any uh, political uh, might to let the foreclosure uh, train leave the yeah. station. Now, with that said, mm -hmm. they're still going to be there. Not every mortgage in the United States is controlled by the government. True. And there might be actually a solution. You know, we mentioned that Freddie Mac had coined the phrase graceful exit back mm -hmm. in the day. What a great term, by the I way. Know. And what they were doing is people that were wanting to leave the house and not go through foreclosure, they're wanting to do a short sale. They were actually giving those owners uh, money, thus the graceful exit, to leave so they can resettle. 
And sometimes the checks were pretty darn good. So you could, as, a, as an agent that had those relationships and knowledge, you could go and communicate with a seller who has had a net notice of default issued and, you, and who's probably turtled up and not answering anything and just hiding. And you could offer them quite a bit of money from your the, the servicer, i.e. the bank. And you've now given them an option other than just basically waiting for the uh, sheriff to show up at their doorstep and throw all their stuff yeah. on the uh, see, street. See, I could see something like that. I think that's what's going to happen. Or like a, a hybrid cash for keys, you exactly. know, easy transition type thing, especially for people that have equity because the bank figures that they're on those, they're going to get some equity out of it anyway. And you and I were talking about this mm-hmm. today. Ultimately, is there going to be ever, how long it's going to take for all the jobs that were lost because of COVID and all those people now who are basically in default of some variety or, you know, maybe not officially, but are on their way to default. It, how long is it going to take for those people to find gainful employment? And the answer there is scary because in many markets, say, for example, Vegas, these casinos are just completely closing up. The restaurants, everyone talks about restaurants. Restaurants, like everyone works in a restaurant, right. but a lot of these restaurants aren't ever going to come back. No, up. and it's not just them. It's their supply chain, their support, you know, right. people. You know, somebody cleaned that restaurant. Well, look at your brother, you know? Mark. Yeah. I mean, Mark. He's been downsized, by the way. Oh, has yeah. he? Or, so, or re- reallocated back to sales. So her brother sells chemicals to restaurants. Restaurants, basically, that's the essence of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and he has obviously been affected by it adversely because a lot of his customers are no longer customers, and so there's a secondary, you know, you know, harm from uh, the restaurant slowing yep. down, and it's endless. Yep. So he he's taking less money, a different job. He's happy to have the job, but sure. that that's a related service, right? So. Um, there's all kinds of things that are related to that when, what, especially when something, I mean, a casino is a huge operation. They've got inside restaurants, they've got shows, they've got performers, they've got cleaning people, they've got the, all the, sorts of things. The takeaway from this guys is many of these businesses won't ever come back. And will the, you know, commercial real estate be reallocated into something else eventually? Uh, but that's not going to be a, you know, flip of the coin. That's going to take a long time, long time, especially if that commercial real estate defaults. These are all the things that we've yet to really experience as a result of COVID the, because the government has been pumping so much money into the economy yeah. and they're going to continue to pump so much money into the economy. And if it's not money that they're pumping into the economy, then it's going to be things like, you know, never ending mortgage forbearances. Where does that end? Nobody knows, but it does end somewhere. Yes. Okay. So let's pivot towards what they're supposed to do about this. I think there's two things. One is do what Jane's doing, which is getting those NOD lists and working those. Those are mostly people you don't know but don't forget about your own database, your past clients, your centers of influence. I can guarantee you that every single person listening that's got 100 people or more on their database, somebody, maybe several somebodies in the people you already know who trust you to take good care of them, they're having a problem like that. Yeah. And they're probably embarrassed to bring it to you and you're not calling them. And here's what's fascinating too. Like when we tell agents to proactively lead generate, mm-hmm. not buy leads, not do all the, you know, yeah. garbage that people spend, agents spend so much money and time on, right? Mm-hmm. We tell them to be proactive lead generators, be a proactive lead generation machine and be marketing enhanced or never even do the marketing. So you guys often will come back because you don't know how to look. You don't know where the information is and say, Tim, what are you talking about? There's no listings in my market. There's no notice defaults. There's no foreclosure notices. There's no this, that, and the other thing. You just don't know where to look. And I'll give you a, for example, look at Realty Track. Go to RealtyTrack.com and our friend Rick Sharga as I think the owner or one of the owners of that company and go and see how many uh, actual notice defaults and whatnot are in your particular market. Zillow used to supply this information too. I don't know if they still do it. They do, but it. they've made it a lot harder to find. Okay. So you go there and you're actually going to see things. Now, remember, a notice default is filed in most uh, states 
after some after the bank has basically uh, not collected a month or two or three worth of payments. But that does not mean that the banks are necessarily filing those notices of defaults. So it's going to kind of be tricky. So the notice of default report is not necessarily the best optics on what the future real estate markets are going to be like. So will the market absorb any sort of distress uh, real estate that comes for sale? I actually think it will. Will that create an opportunity for agents to learn how to list the uh, REOs on, be on behalf of the servicers? Of course it will. Will that be just a huge window that stays open forever knowing how to get in on the banks and list these properties? Nope, <laughs> it will not. And yes, of course, when we see that that that's a viable alternative or a viable option for you guys to explore, knowing that so many of you like to sh uh, chase the shiny objects. We're not going to tell you about it. We're not going to tell you how to do it. We're not going to create the system. I mean, we had this all in place, obviously, back in the real estate crash. That's how a lot of you, Jane, for example, came to know us. But what I'm trying to explain to all of you is that when that opportunity is there, when it's resilient, when it's viable, we're going to tell you about it. And we're not just going to tell you about it. We're going to tell you how to make the most of it. We're going to give you all the contact information, the name, rank, and serial number. Of of every, and we're going to show you how to do every single thing so you can be first in line. Um, and when that happens, we're going to scream at the top of our voices so every single one of you like I said, can be first in line because that is an example of first come, uh, first mover um, advantage for sure. You know, yeah, in that space, absolutely. But but for now and in the future, as things change, your best script is yes. It would be my pleasure to help you with that yep. situation, even if you're not sure where it's going to go yet. Because I think there's also going to be some confusion with how lenders handle things. They're probably not going to all have the same policy, just like the forbearance rules and the PPP rules and all that. So yes, it would be my pleasure to help you with that. And then ask for help. That's what we're here for. That's why there is coaching. That's the reason that you guys sign up for coaching. And you know, that's the reason that we've been in business for as long as we have and as successful, frankly. Sorry if that sounds arrogant as we've been, mm -hmm. because we are always going to do what's best for you guys. We're always going to do what we can to put you in front of the market, telling you exactly how you can help the most people and frankly, make the most amount of money, because that is the reason you're in business. So keep your head screwed on straight. And as Julie and I see more, you know, obvious cracks in the real estate markets. And if those cracks start to become, you know, uh, what would it be? Starts with F, fusions, fissures, Fusion, fissures, fissures, I think. Bigger it, cracks. Yeah, but in this- <laughs> We're going to tell you. What Jane was talking about and reporting on maybe is just a hairline crack at this point that's to be monitored and we'll see what happens. And that's our job to bring that to you and say, hey, you know what? Here's something interesting that we're observing. Keep an eye on it. All right. So those of you who are interested in joining Julie and I at eXp, of course, we'd love to be your sponsor. Just text me directly at 512-758-0206. And look, guys, if you're not seriously on the path to joining eXp, you've really got to look into it. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. If you want to know what a powerful macro trend is that's going to last generations, it's eXp Realty for sure. Text me directly if you'd like to join Julie and I's eXp Realty family at 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.